Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very belated episode of Still in the Box podcast. I am one of your hosts, Islam, and my other co-host, Hawa, is here with me. Hi, everyone. It's Hawa here. I think I was going to come up with, like, a nice introduction, but I still haven't come up with anything. Well, it's your turn to do the introduction next week, so you can wow us with your linguistic skills. But yeah, so to address the elephant in the room, we, our episode is very, very late because we had some... Very, very late. Very late. Uh, the first week... Tell us why we are late. The first week was definitely my fault. I decided to go and move to a yes. different city and I didn't have Wi-Fi. So yeah, couldn't do that. Second week is we did record an episode and then uh, there were some technical issues and uh, it wasn't saved properly. Now, because of the topic of the issue and the title of this episode that you're looking at, you might think that this might be some divine intervention and it might be a sign for us to not release this episode. It definitely is. Lucky for us, I'm not religious. <laughs> Here we are. Anyway, so Hawa, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I think part of our podcast kind of establishing our way mm-hmm. is opening people to different perspectives and different worldviews and different types of people and so on and so forth. One mm-hmm. of being this growing, always existed, but kind of growing group of people. Should, we, should, we, should I call you guys a subgroup? I mean, first of all, to establish the you guys, well, as the title suggests, we are having an interview with an ex-Muslim. Um, very... No, no, no. We're having an interview with an ex-Muslim. It's very scandalous. And uh, yeah, uh, in case you haven't guessed, the ex-Muslim is me. The ex-Muslim is me. And uh, yeah, so when you say you guys, you mean the growing group of us guys that are, in your words, what? Because I would like to make it clear right now that I am a devout Muslim. So of course. This... How many times do you pray, Hawa? This conversation. Last <laughs> Ramadan, did you fast it? Can you imagine? How's the job goals looking these days? I'm going to start this episode again. Car from your salary every month? Are we paying that? I didn't fucking think so. <laughs> no, but go on. No, I am very much on the hot seat in this episode. It's about me and my uh, apostle ways. So yes, we are addressing the growing number of people. Starting hot seat on purpose, you scandalous person. I Haram. Do you want to do more? Um, I was going to say, before you interrupted me with your whole shenanigans, is... I'm facilitating a conversation yes. where I, as the more mature person and the religious person who has the morality, was, go- was just going to interview you mm-hmm. <laughs> and allow people to have an insight into your perspective. I reinstate, I am a devout Muslim, so please, Al Shabaab and everybody who agrees with them, do not come for me. Go and by that, what Howard is then. trying to say, because I am very much the designated Howard translator, by that, what is Howard trying to say is that even though she does not practice any of the five pillars or the tenets of Islam, she is too much of a little bitch to admit that she's not a Muslim anymore. So I'm the one that is here stepping into the hazid. And but I'm sorry, Howard, astaghfirullah for your um, for your uh, for your faith. I'm sure you're very religious when your when your parents are watching. So um. Yes. <laughs> Okay, like a true ex-Muslim. So yes. any other on this who's listening to this will identify some of these things and realize this antagonistic behavior is targeted at, towards me, the devout Muslim, for no damn reason. So yes, it's my lack of faith that is making me. Yes, it is my lack of faith that is making me speak out here today. But enough of exactly. a preamble. Yes, enough of a preamble. Enough uh, of you know goofing around. It's going to be a very um, heavy 
uh, interview slash debate is going to be very emotional at times. It's we're going to discuss. Everybody takes our sarcasm a little bit too seriously. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, like that was all a joke. Um, yes. <laughs> Calm down. Fever does not make yes. a terrible person. Also, don't come for me. So, exactly. Calm down with the suicide bombs. Um, we are being sarcastic. Oh my no. God! Fuck off! <laughs> Fuck off! No, but honestly, enough. How? Enough of a preamble. Let's get into it. Um, we're going to ask okay. some very serious questions. Uh, all jokes aside, I am being interviewed as an ex-Muslim, and I am going to give my experience and answer some very difficult questions. So, Hala, shoot. Question number one, darling. When did you know? When did you realize you were an ex-Muslim? When did you jump the boat of the Holy Grail and your Road towards Jannah for no damn reason. To when did I when did I stop having faith? You mean? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, faith? unfortunately, there wasn't a very specific day or a moment where I had this aha moment where, and I realized that I wasn't um, part of the faith. It was very much a gradual process. Um, it would go on, you know, over a long period of time. I think almost five years. My time at university and a little bit before that. I never had the best experience while being part of the faith, while in my parents' house, while being a practicing Muslim. And one, once I moved away, slowly but surely, the faith started chipping away. The practices started chipping away. The hijab wearing started disappearing. The not drinking started disappearing. Even the eating halal, finally, the last stage. And at some point, I just realized that I'm not, I'm not practicing any of the tenants of the faith anymore because I don't believe in them. And when I really looked at it, I found that I don't have any faith. I don't believe in... Islam as a religion uh I don't I don't have any faith in Islam no I don't I don't I do believe that Prophet Muhammad existed I do believe by all accounts he was a very um exemplar human being but I don't believe that any I don't believe for example the Isra al Mi'raj the journey that Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam supposedly took to heaven to meet God and that's why it was decreed that we pray five times a day I don't believe that that happened I don't believe that um there's uh, heaven and hell, for example. That's one thing that I theologically don't believe in. And there's very, very many aspects, like the practice and the faith and any all of it combined. I've started nitpicking and thinking about it and it just doesn't make any sense to me. So finally, like my final stage was about, I would say two, three months ago, I realized that no, I don't. I simply do not believe. So yeah, gradual process is the simplified answer. <laughs> like Islam said at the beginning, we did record this episode before. So a lot of this, I'm... A, because I've known you of all these years, all these years that you've been kind of gravitating, gravitating away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm fairly familiar with the story. But one thing that actually jumped up to me now is you said university being a, a pinnacle point where you yeah. realise that you're kind of diverging away from Islam. Mm-hmm. There's often an argument made. I grew up in the Salafi circles. So yeah. one of the things... Strong they Somali <laughs> community. <laughs> yeah. He's a Somali per se, but like it's highly conservative. Um, and one of the things they do often is discourage girls from going to university, partly because a you do X Y Z, you know, you might do some haram. It's terrible. It kind yeah. of corrupts your morality. What what not what not. But another thing people used to argue a lot is that girls who go to university study we used to decide, but this may not apply to you, but. It's around the same vein. It's, oh, if they study philosophy or religious studies or whatnot, they will come out of it being an ex-Muslim. You, my darling, are an example of that. I am. Um, how would you characterize university being a point? What, like, what experiences at university made you think, this religion is not for me anymore? 
first of all, I would, just to address the point that you made at the beginning, this argument that you can't go off to university, you can't be surrounded by people of different faiths, you can't be surrounded by free thinkers and critical thinking because you might lose your faith. I would argue that there is something seriously wrong with your faith if it cannot stand the challenge of being surrounded by different minded people. And um, it's very easy to have faith in a vacuum, or not in a vacuum rather, but in a very constricted, we're all in this together and you have no way of leaving society, which Muslim society a lot of, a lot of times are when we're living at home. So it's very easy. Yeah, so it's very easy to have faith in that context. But once you leave, and I, I mean, I'm obviously the disaster story where I went to university and I was like, nah, not this. But there's a lot of people that come out of university, come out of that influence, come out of that, come out of that, what's it called, that tight grip of their parents' house. And they maintain their faith. They stay even stronger. And I'd argue they're even more religious than people who stayed home. Because even though they might not pray, you know, maybe three times a day instead of five, that's prayer that they're actually praying for themselves, not because somebody's watching. So to answer your question about um, the leaving away process, um, when I was at home, the fact whether I had faith or not was never even questioned. We like prayer, which first of all, I was forced into wearing the hijab, like let's get that out straight away. Um, my dad made me wear it. My mom reinforced that decision. I was threatened with physical violence if I ever took it off. That was never even an option. And then we go on to the, part, uh, to the topic of prayer and five times a day. They tried to get us to do the morning prayer, but then we, we did so many hisifits that they finally stopped. But four or three times per day, my dad would call us to prayer and that was non-negotiable. There was no, oh, I'm tired. There was no, uh, I'm not feeling up to it. You get called to prayer and you get the fuck up and you go because my dad is scary as hell and his work goes. So the idea of, oh, I'm not praying because I don't feel it or I don't feel the faith or I don't, that was never even an option. It was literally, it sounds cliche, but it was literally forced down my throat. <laughs> you know, like it was literally, it's time to pray, so you pray. So then I go away to university and there's not, you know, like there's nobody hovering over my shoulder and calling me to pray and forcing me to pray and making me do all of those things. It was literally up to self-motivation. And it turned out that no, I'm not motivated to do this. I don't want to do this. This doesn't add anything to me. I don't see any benefit from this. And that was, again, part of the decline where I don't see the benefit of this practice. I'm not motivated to do this practice. I don't have enough faith to do this practice. And slowly but surely, it started going away. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm nodding a lot. I'm a terrible interviewer because a I know all of this, but two, <laughs> I'm trying to pick things out of it that people might be interested. Mm. Um, I already know the fact that say about ninety percent of the reason why you decided not to be a Muslim anymore, and I think that's a conscious decision you made. Yes. Do you want to share some of the reasons why the experience you had with say interpersonal relationship with other Muslims? Mm -hmm experience you had in the community, experience that you got from other people, pushed you away. And while people listen, I hope they take a note of all of this yeah. and realize so these are some of the things they might be doing to other people, other Muslims that they know exactly. at the moment, and pushing them away from the religion. Yeah. Some are, yeah, maybe that's a good thing for people not to be Muslim anymore, but I would take that as a lesson as things you should not do because that pushes people away from the religion. Yeah, yeah, so always oh, yours. So um yeah, personal experience with uh within the Muslim community. First of all, obviously, like you said, this applies to other Muslims listening. My Orthodox Jews don't need to worry about this. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, so like I said, it's there was a lot of different reasons why I eventually stopped the faith, um, stopped believing in the faith rather. But uh in terms of bad experiences within the Muslim community, I think there is the very um 
the fairy tale that Muslims like to tell each other that the biggest hardship that we go through in the Muslim Ummah and in the Muslim uh, community is the Islamophobia, the challenges from, from living in a Western world, the problems of, that come from the outside. Um, that's not true. 99%. I, I yeah, can, can, I, can I speak about my personal experience? Um, for my, I should qualify that actually, you're right. From my personal experience, 99% yes. from my personal Islam Bushra's personal experience, 99% of the bad experiences, the bad, the bad and the, the uncomfortable, the unnecessary, the things that made me turn away from the whole ummah, the whole community, perpetrated by other Muslims. More specifically, other Muslims that don't know how to mind their fucking business. I'm talking about the, what's it called? Again, like I said, forced to wear the hijab long before puberty. So at the time where by Sharia law had to wear it, I was made to wear it before even that. So um, I was a child running around, trying to play, trying to have fun, trying to enjoy my childhood. And there would be grown adults, Muslim men and women trying to police my body, trying to tell me, you're showing too much skin. You're doing this, you're doing that. The hijab identified me clearly as a member of the religion. And because of that identifier, people, adults, men and women, felt they had the right and they had the need to come, to come up to me, to, to, to invade my space, to invade my peace, and try and tell me what to do. Now that's stuff about modesty, because God forbid I wear a three-quarter three quarter shirt instead of a full, leaf, full sleeve shirt, and the size, sight of my wrist is too much, apparently, for the, for the world to handle. That can be stuff like running around, laughing too loud. I was told off for that one time by this random woman. Things like, things that even don't have anything to do with modesty. For example, I'd be listening to music. Somebody would come up to me and be like, excuse me, sister, music is haram. I'd be, one time, and I kid you not, I was chewing gum, and this girl came up to me and said that Orbit chewing gum. Do you know the brand Orbit chewing gum? Yeah. Orbit chewing gum is haram. No, I don't know. Orbit chewing gum, it's a thing in Germany. Orbit chewing gum is haram. I didn't even ask where the rationale, I was just like, you know, I don't even care, just go away. So yeah, like just stuff like that, where people feel the need to police every single aspect of my life, be nasty, be rude, tell me off for the simplest things, especially when I was a child, not that it makes it better if I'm an adult, but I was a child, I was concerned with children things, and here are these people just bothering me and making my life more difficult because of the fact that they identify me as part of their religion and because they were part of the same religion, they use that religion as a bludgeon to beat me with and to annoy me with and to bully me with. And yeah, it made, it made the whole taste of religion turn bitter in my mouth and I wanted nothing to do with that community or that thing. I, obviously that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. because that me, Haram. How, how often have we heard that in Birmingham? How often? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think this is our no, these are normal reactions to say yeah. psychological bullying, often mm -hmm. which it, to me that is. But I slightly and this is not anyway excusing it, but I slightly make a distinguish in my head, rationalizing this as these people are demonstrating a toxic mix of entitlement, abuse of power, especially when it comes to you know ch bullying children. Mm -hmm and uh, close proximity to other muslims often breeds entitlement and lack of boundaries and insensitiveness and crude behavior lack of boundaries especially lack of boundaries so all of these things are of things that other people from other communities also experience and mm -hmm. i also been at the receiving end of a lot of these things mm -hmm. but they are not necessarily an indictment of islam per se yes. to me Yes. But if you think otherwise, 
please do explain that to our audience. I think um, I think we've had a different conversation about this, about how, you know, again, in different societies and different communities, you get this exact kind of thing happening. This is not very yeah. much unique to the Muslim society, the Orthodox Jews that are Orthodox Jewish people that I mentioned earlier, the black community when it comes to colorism, um, classist aspects when it comes to riches and monies and stuff like that. It happens everywhere. But uh, the one that I happen to be part of is the Muslim community. The one that I happen to grow up with is the Muslim community. The bad experiences that I had happen to be stemming from the Muslim community, which is why I'm here in a podcast talking about the Muslim community. If I was part of that other society, who knows, maybe I'd be talking about it too. But uh, yeah, the fact that other communities have that problem too does not excuse the fact that the Muslim community also has that problem. We don't yeah, go I mean, around, oh yeah, everybody's acting like pigs, let's go roll around in the dirt with them. Like, no, that's not how it works. You're still being, you're still being shitty. That is not any way for me to like. I'm not excusing that behavior. I know, 100%. At all, I do think mm-hmm. is uh, it, it, it's responsible for various different things that people do, but also ultimately comes down to people being assholes. And mm-hmm. um, that is across the board. This, I, what I'm trying to make it clear is that this is not uniquely Muslim problem. Yeah, and it's not uniquely thing that happened to exclusive to us. It should yeah. not be happening to anybody. Yeah, either, and definitely not happening to you. But these are not an indictment of Islam to me at all. Yeah. These are just human beings being fucking flawed, like flawed people and being assholes. And that is what it is. Um, what was I going to, what did I ask you in the last episode? I completely forgot. Um, how about we talk about solutions when it comes to that kind of thing? Because yes. for me, solution would be very simple. Leave the religion. For Take off the job, leave the religion, problem solved, as far as I'm concerned. What about you? That reminds me exactly what we talked about. No, that's not a solution to me. Uh I would like to see a complete, even though I would say that, you know, I'm going to marry a white guy, I'm going to leave these fuckers, leave them to their mess. (laughs) Deuces, motherfuckers, I'm gone. Yeah. I'm still very much invested in my community. I'm very much invested in the Muslim community and the wider Somali community as a whole. Yeah. Um, One of the things is, I do hope, that people engage with what non ex Muslims have to say, they engage with a lot of the reasons why people leave Islam. Mm-hmm. So they take notes. And often you're not the only person you're not the only ex Muslim I have met. No, met not them. at all. Yeah, then there's a lot. A lot of them pretend still to be Muslim, but there yeah. are quite a few. And one of the things they always say is ninety percent of the reason I left Islam is because oh, the of Muslims. Muslims. Yeah. So I hope people take that as a note and realize your behavior is pushing people away from God. It is, yeah. It's the single biggest indictment of our community as a whole. Mm-hmm. If Prophet Muhammad's big, like, most well-known characteristic is that he was a kind person yeah. and his own, his own followers are demonstrating behavior completely opposite to that to a point, not just driving people crazy, but driving them away from the religion, then what kind of Muslim are you? Yeah, can I just say, can I, can I just add that I would find it very sad and ironic that if Prophet Muhammad sallallahu were alive today, he would very much be opposed and against many of the behaviors that these kind of toxic Muslim people are exhibiting, the kind of pushing away, the kind of bullying, the kind of policing that is going on is absolutely not what he stood for. And uh, yeah, I find it very sad. And um, one point that you mentioned is like about being invested into the Somali community. I feel the same about the Sudanese community. This is not very much the case because so religion is so heavily entrenched into Sudanese society. It's difficult to tell the two apart, but I'm not at all kind of doing away with all of Sudanese society. I do like Sudanese society. I do like my extended large 5,000 members, large Sudanese family <laughs> who I still haven't all met, but no, um, it's the religion that, um, mainly the religion. And another thing that I want to mention is that... How do you make a distinction that you say... 
it's one thing to say I'm invested yeah. in my family and mm-hmm. you are talking about your immediate and extended family mm-hmm. but I for example if uh, the ex-Muslims Somali ex-Muslims that I have met mm-hmm. always make it clear that they don't identify so strongly with Somaliness anymore because that's, not, that's not for me Islam, it's uh, in, I'm not saying that's the case for Sudan but I'm saying the case for, for Somalis generally is that our religion and our culture are mutually like they are so linked yeah. that you can't be one without the other. Yeah, and uh, definitely opting out of all of it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I see where that comes from, and uh, make no mistake, if I do come to Sudan, there's going to be a certain amount of play acting that has to be done <laughs> purely for the sake of keeping the peace. Um, my point is that another thing that I want to mention regarding my extended family is an- and another reason why I am turned off from, from what I was turned off from the re- religion as a whole is that whenever I see, because I have a large extended family, both from my mom's side and both from my dad's side, whenever I see, you know, in, in the extended family, certain fam- nuclear families that where the faith is strong, shall we say, traditional family, Ansar Sunnah, the what's called the religious types, you never hear of a... a and Somalia might be different, but in Sudan anyway, you never hear of a religious, traditional, very strongly faith family where the, the women and the girls in the family are, are strong characters, educated and encouraged to pursue their own careers and to pursue their own lives. It's always religion. And again, this is due to bad interpretation, not necessarily due to bad faith, but you always see the religious faith, um, the Salafi or Ansar Sunnah type fathers, the one that go to Hajj every week, um, the, wife is, the wife or multiple wives are treated like shit. All of the women are maids in the family. The boys get to do whatever they want. The boys get to do, get to come and go as they please. The girls have to act as maids and what's called as cooks. All they have to look forward to in life is getting what's called getting married so that they can escape from one president to the next. So yeah, that's yeah. one thing to look forward to. And it's just you never see like that idea of religion implemented into a way that benefits women particularly, right? Then yeah. when I then when I look at the slightly more no no not secular per se because it is Sudan but in the in, in the families where religion isn't like the end all and be all those are the ones where like I have the cousins that are doctors I have the cousins that are that are university graduates I have the cousins that are female that is and male but like female university graduates female career women female you know people who have their own lives so it just it's I cannot put this any other way wherever religion is on the rise the quality of life for the women is on the de- uh, decline. That's I, have, I, have to, I have to jump in with my sociology analyst in here. That, yes, that's true. Wherever religion is on the rise, generally women's welfare, well-being, quality of life all decline. Yeah, but but the two are not inherently linked. The thing to, where people make a mistake, and often a lot of ex-Muslims and people who are atheists misinterpret this, is they assume mm-hmm. that increase in religiosity or religious practice automatically links to the decline of quality of women's life. Often it's other factors like poverty, living in the countryside, lack of education of the people who are responsible for places. Those have a far bigger impact than um, on women's quality of life rather than religious Because one of the contradictions to that is Mm -hmm. people who live in in the Gulf states say yeah. Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Emirates, who are highly conservative and highly religious, often have far higher standards for quali- women's qualifications and quality of, uh, quality of life, healthcare, education, employment rates, than say in countries where Islam is slightly more secular, but quality of life is declined. So contrast and compare 
women's employment rates and education levels, say in um, in Saudi Arabia or Kuwait or Bahrain mm-hmm. or Omar to Egypt. Yeah, Egypt would be, and they are vastly different. So religion in itself is not indicator. Yes, it crops up. People use religion as a way Mm -hmm. of power, and that again to me is wherever there's power, people will abuse it, and whoever's asshole in in his hands will abuse it. But religion is not a an indictment of the quality of women's life in this sexist country. It is. Um, In this one, I would like to say. At this point, I'd like to say I am a huge fan of admitting when you are not an expert in something. <laughs> so I am not an expert in socio socioeconomic studies and socioecological variations. So I'm not. I don't. I generally don't know where the causation and uh, what's it called causation and correlation fact between religion and poverty and religion and you're, high uh, status. Not um, wrong. But yeah, I don't. I know. But I'm saying this is an area where I don't know much about. I'm speaking purely from personal experience. But what I will say is this: that when there is more, for example, in countries that are richer, in countries that where, where what's it called, where there's more money to be had for the populace. Um, with more money comes the opportunity for women to make it out of, to make it out of that restrictive state. With more religion, there isn't. With, yes, with more religion, if you have And again, religion, it speaks to the fact, and again, it speaks to the fact that yes, there might be a wealth of other issues, but again, it speaks to the fact that the same reason how there's Muslims that are turning other Muslims away from the religion by their actions. It just speaks to the fact that, again, religion and specifically the religion of Islam is being used as just as this tool to bully and harass other people, in this case, women, by the majority. Let's not even talk about the FGM. Let's not even talk about toddlers being forced into wearing hijabs. Let's not even talk about, I mean, we've all had this. Come on, you, like, I have an older brother. You don't have an older brother, but believe me, you're not missing out. No offense. (laughs) You're not missing out. We've all had this experience where, like, you, I would literally just look at the front door for too long and my parents would jump, my mom and my, and my dad would jump on my case about where are you going? What do you think you're doing? Where do you want to go? I want, uh, what's it called? Numbers of people you want to meet. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want that. Not even allowed to step out of the house. Meanwhile, my brothers are walking in and out of the house, unimpeded, walking out at six o'clock in the morning and coming back at midnight without a care in the world. And it's unfair. It's unfair. And the excuse for it is religion. Religion says he can and you can't. The thing with patriarchy is men in power would use anything and everything. And in this case, they use this. The same point is, but they use anything and everything. You can compare and contrast very secular countries who have laws and protections and money and everything. You can compare Irish laws to Egyptian laws. Mm. And you will find, you'll come to a realization they're actually not dramatically different. No, not dramatically different, but just I'm talking again about this. And religion has become another tool which they use to oppress women. Yes, it is. But I'm talking, there's a difference. Like there's a difference between state. I'm not saying that it's more severe looking at the difference between, for example, Ireland and, and Scotland and mainland England when it comes to things like abortion laws. But I'm talking about this, just something so deeply personal and so deeply aggravating about religion invading my daily home life my daily privacy like every day my everyday life from waking until sleeping to the extent that it has during my childhood i used to like and i didn't mention this again while i was talking about the hijab issue but i used to spend my childhood because i didn't grow up in sudan because if i had grown up in sudan it wouldn't have been as severe because there are people don't like everybody does the same thing for starters second of all everybody isn't as strict about wearing a hijab as they are in Sudan as they are in the Western countries. Sounds weird, I know, but trust me, people in Sudan are less 
restrictive about how you wear hijab than parents. There's a psychological reason why. Yes, I know. They move to a different country and they want to hold on to their religion even though. Yes, I know. Yeah, still sucks though. My point is, (laughs) my point is, I I grew up with literally watching children. My my, grew up in Germany and then later on in the UK. I watched children, young girls, my own age, being allowed to roam free, being allowed to wear not whatever they want, but like they had more freedom than I did. They'd be wearing their shorts, they'd be wearing their t-shirts. It will be in summer. They'd be running around, playing in the water, going to what's it called, to the swimming, going to the water park, doing whatever they want, and I wasn't allowed that. I just wasn't. I had to sit there looking in and all of the fun and all of the experiences. Sometimes not even people from a different family, from a different, what's it called, religion. In my own family, my brothers going and doing as they please as well, I wasn't allowed to. And the reason for that was religion. And I can't, like, it's, it's, that's not something you just get over, snap your fingers and, oh, well, funny childhood. No, that is just, it's just so deeply unfair. And I feel like I was deprived of so many aspects of my childhood because of religion. And I don't want it anymore. I'm not going to grow up and do this to the next generation. I'm not going to grow up and to- grow up and tolerate this in my life. I don't want it. I just don't want it. I'm, I'm not. Um, I don't want to gaslight you, so I'm, I'm obviously not going to contradict that. So, and I hope everybody who listens takes note of that and takes note of the kind of psychological how religion can be even if it to me a perfect religion can be used to manipulate people and especially obstruct people's day-to-day life and yeah obstruction of day-to-day life that is one thing i really want to hone in on obstructing people's day-to-day lives if you ever find yourself in the place where you're going out of your way to go bother another muslim person because you think that they shouldn't be doing this do yourself a favor and shut the fuck up yeah i i strongly support that um I think there should be a part two to this, where I do. What do you want to talk about in part two? I feel like we covered a lot. <laughs> sorry, I'm getting out of my feelings here. But I know. It, I'm sorry. It's a difficult um, conversation in a sense that these are your own personal experiences, yeah. and they are all very valid, and there are, to me, justified reasons why you feel the way you feel because how else are you psychologically going to respond to this aside from exiting the very situation that's causing you a lot of turmoil exactly Exactly. i'm just trying to make it clear i'm not trying to gaslight islam i know i know i know you're not i'm just asking you questions because i think there will be things that people will be interested but i deeply sympathize and i hope everything i said this million times but i hope every single muslim who listens to this listens to it very carefully mind your fucking business when it comes to other things otherwise it's not westerners doing it it's you guys it's not westerners and that's such it's such a problem with muslim people and muslim communities where when criticism is coming from the outside it's like you're an outsider you don't understand this when people when criticism is coming from the inside oh you're an infidel you're a blasphemer you're an apostle you don't understand it either it's coming from your own ranks difference here i'm not saying every muslim makes a distinction but i make Mm. a distinction where when it when the criticisms from non-muslims directly towards muslims is deeply islamophobic and more dangerous because it's not just opinions and people venting out often they put in places policies it justifies legal threats it justifies police action it justifies the policies i think there's some things not to get too into it this might be something we can address we can address in part two but i don't think saying like um when what's it called when girls are being smuggled into hospitals or like the doctors are trying to uh, what's it called perform fgm we can we should do everything that we we can including screening certain groups that are more likely to engage in no, this kind of I, sorry, yeah? no, I don't think i don't not. think that's a wrong thing i i think that's 
probably the most violating form of human rights than anything else. And that's, Dr. we can discuss that in part two. Uh, no, 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 how, how, his fingers in a girl's vagina, no, that is. No, 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 that's not what they're doing. That's not what they're doing. Not what they're doing. No, they're not. Um, another part, we can address that in part two. Let's not, we, we were doing so well. Let's not get into an argument in the end. But uh, also part two, I really want to talk about Shamima Begum. She's recently been in the news and I have some very yes. strong views. I have very strong views too about her. Stay gone! I'm just going <laughs> to check with my job contract to see if I can publicly share them. But I have very, very strong opinions about it. Yes, please check. Don't want you getting fired. And uh, yeah, some very strong opinions. But yeah, no, good talk. We should do a part two. Making it clear that I'm very much in her support. <sighs> anyway, let's make a part two about this and yeah. Yes, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope it got, I don't know, gave you some questions, yeah. like up some interest. Got we do encourage comments and even disagreeing ones and not agreeing ones, by all means. If you disagree, direct them towards Islam. Do not direct yes. them to me. Lucky for you guys, I don't have a personal Instagram account, so hey! <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, until next time. Yeah, until okay. next time. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye bye.